0: to let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm Pastor Michael Lilienthal, and today we're going to be planning the service for the second Sunday after Epiphany. Uh, The Epiphany season I've mentioned before is uh, akin to the uh, general season, or the non-festival half of the church year, or the Trinity season, uh, in that we are uh, looking really at um, the, the... the miracles of Christ, the life of Christ, uh, in, in a way uh, uh, as to how he relates to the church. Um, we'll see a little bit more of that later when we get to the pre-Lent season, too. But we're going to continue looking at how Christ reveals himself as God in the flesh. Those two natures of Christ are con- going to uh, continue to, to contend against, not against one another, but uh, to, to display one another. That paradox is going to be be shown more and more clearly, as we continue on here, I do want to start this time around by looking at the uh, the intro it for Epiphany two uh, and it says here, uh, "All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you, they shall sing praises to your name, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth, shout out the honor of his name, make his praise glorious." and glory be to the Father, of course. Uh, there are, are uh, once again, the uh, the antiphons that would follow that as well, that will be part of this service, uh, singing the antiphon before uh, the introit and then after the Gloria Patri. But um, that introit itself comes from two separate psalms, Psalm 66 and Psalm 92, uh, as most introits are, they are from, from the psalms. Uh, and these ones, as you can tell, are primarily praise... Uh, psalms that are coming through here. Uh, we're, we're praising God for, for who he is and what he has done, uh, and seeing that uh, the whole earth itself praises God, and that's significant as well. So I do want to uh, start looking at the, the readings for this Sunday. We're just going to dive right in here, looking at, uh, once again, the uh, Old Testament lesson will be the, uh, the sermon text for the day, so I'll save that for last. But the Epistle lesson is from Romans 12, verses 6 through 16. We're, we're continuing here. That's something that uh, this Epiphany season does pretty interestingly, is uh, do a, a sequential reading uh, of this Romans 12 and then 13 too, if, if the uh, season is long enough. Uh, but So we're, we, we read the first five verses of Romans 12 for last week, Last Sunday, and now we're going to read uh, the next, what, 11 verses? Romans 12, 6 through 16. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. If the gift is prophecy, do it in complete agreement with the faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is contributing, be generous. If it is leadership, be diligent. If it is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Do not just pretend to love others. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Think of others as deserving more honor than yourselves. Do not be lagging behind in zeal, but be fervent in spirit as you continue to serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Endure trials patiently. Persist in prayer. Share with the saints who are in need. Be quick to welcome strangers as guests. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. Have the same respect for one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the humble. Do not think too highly of yourself. It's kind of a, a litany of, uh, <laughs> of instructions here in that epistle lesson. Um, it's divided... In, in a little bit of a, a, a clear break here, the first, um, what, four verses or three verses? Uh, yeah, verses 6, 7, and 8 um, are all about the gifts that are given to the individual members of the church. This is a theme that Paul uh, touches on at, at various times in his letters about the, the members of the church and the, the complementary nature of all those members joined together and what they make up. Um, and how we make up the body of Christ that that's that's really the illustration uh that that ties it all together that as the body of Christ we're different from one another as different as a, a hand is from an ear <laughs> I know that's kind of mixing some of what he does in in his letters but but that's that uh, we're, we're not units uh, is is the key here that as as members of the church we are not units of the church and that means we're not going to look identical to one another so that's sort of autocratic uh society like um 1984 or um things like that where it's um you have to be exactly what the government governing body says that you are and you have to look like everybody else i mean it's like the the scare of of communism is kind of along those same lines that's that's where some of that comes from but um it's it's not as though when you're in the church you lose your individuality is, is kind of the point here but you have gifts that are there for the purpose of building up others. And then there's there's this bridge in verse 9 to not just pretend to love others. So that means when you have these gifts, do all these things that Paul says and then he sums it up with that verse 9 that as you're as you're using all of these gifts for the good of the church, don't just pretend to love others, but you should be using your gifts out of genuine love. And it gets to what that what love means. And that's where the rest of this kind of comes in all the way through to the end of verse 16. It's all about what love is all about, and it means hating what is evil. It means clinging to what is good. It means being devoted to one another out of brotherly love. To think of others as more deserve, deserving of more honor than yourselves. It's all kind of an instruction manual in in what love looks like and, and how we as Christians are to demonstrate that love. We get this picture of what the whole church together um, is meant to be. And it's meant to be a beautiful picture. Think of a puzzle piece when everything fits perfectly together. How it just works and and creates that beautiful picture. That's what the church is uh, is about. Um, some might cynically call that idealism, but uh, it's it's God's design for what the church is to look like. And and that doesn't mean that uh, in any given congregation there aren't going to be issues that come up. There aren't going to be fights that uh, that happen. There aren't going to be. Um, um conflicts that that are that are hard to resolve but the point is that God has made this design and so when those difficulties do arise we're all to be guided back to this design of God that's rooted in Christ and his love for us so we as Christians reflect that same love for one another if you've ever been a member of a Christian church and been um, involved, uh Beyond uh, more than just a, a Sunday attendance sort of thing if you've been um, at various meetings or or even gone to maybe some of the the soup suppers or or potlucks and things that go on chances are you've seen conflict among the members of that church chances are you've you've seen people having their their rivalries or their their harshly bitter opinions against one another uh it's 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 sinful human nature and it's in the church itself that's because we are sinners we are made up of sinners even while we are clothed in the sainthood of christ and his righteousness we are still sinners we we have that sinful flesh clinging to us and so we we go back to all of this. In this sense, um, you you might have heard before that the the Sermon on the Mount is like uh, Jesus' Ten Commandments or the, or the Beatitudes, at least. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All, all of those. I know I went out of order there. Um, that those are the Ten Commandments for the New Testament. That's not really true. That's not really accurate. That's, that's very much a gospel message that Jesus gives there as opposed to the Ten Commandments, which are a very clear law message. But here we have commands. These, these are divine commands in this Romans 12 passage, that we are to follow these things. And just like the Ten Commandments were designed to, to show what the ideal Israelite society was going to look like, what God's people were to look like, so these commands here are designed to show what are God's people designed to look like. But that doesn't mean that we're going to live up to it. That's, that's a, a flaw that uh, at the time of the Reformation, the, the scholars were um, erroneously making that point that if God said it, well, it must be possible for us to do it. But no, that's not the case. <laughs> if, if, it's a, if it's a requirement, that doesn't mean we can live up to the requirement. It does not. The requirement does not mean that we can do what the requirement says. Instead, it shows what we should do. And if we read all of these... We should be taking them to heart just as we take the Ten Commandments to heart and think, have I done this? How have I not done this? How have I failed at doing this? And then, and as we acknowledge those things, our response is to confess to God that we have not done them, to, to acknowledge verbally to him that we have failed in these things, and to ask for forgiveness for his son's sake, which he certainly does give us, and to promise that by the power of the Holy Spirit we will endeavor to improve our lives, improve our behavior in regard to these things. That's what this is all about. This this law message, which is what primarily most of this is. Uh, it's 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 law because um, it's it's all it's all commands. Um, so uh, preaching on, and I have preached on this epistle lesson before. It's interesting, you know, uh, Lutheran preachers were were taught to to properly distinguish between law. And gospel and uh, that's uh, it, it's important those are the two main doctrines of, of scripture but when we have a, a passage that is so clearly all law well we've got to kind of figure out how how to preach the gospel in there too but it's not like we're drawing from outside the text but uh, we're, we're drawing on that na- natural conclusion that you know it, like just like I said we have to acknowledge that we have failed in every single one of these things you have uh, if you examine yourself Right now, you, you can see that you've pretended to love someone else. You have not always hated what was evil, but you've loved something evil. Uh, you've not always clinged, clung to something good, but you've you've let it go. And go on through the rest of the list. You failed. But, and this is the, the great gospel but, is that uh, you, there's forgiveness offered for these things. And that's, that's the essence of repentance. That when we do return uh, in confession of our sins... Seeking that forgiveness that Jesus has promised to give us, that's, we're strengthening that graft into the body of Christ once again. Uh, we, we, are, we are tied to that life that he gives again, that, that he is the one who has done all of these perfectly. And we go at those, those different gifts in the first section of this, uh, that Jesus did all of those perfectly. He was the perfect prophet. He was the perfect servant. He was the perfect teacher, the perfect encourager, perfect contributor, the perfect leader, the perfect shower of mercy. And he did all of those according to how Paul describes that they should be done, and he did that for you. He gave those things to you. He gave you that mercy. He leads you. He contributed so that you would receive his life, his riches, his grace. He encourages you in bearing your cross. He teaches you his word. He serves you in the sacrament with his body and blood and in his word and in baptism with his grace and with his righteousness. He prophesies for you so that you have the knowledge of his promises and can have faith in those same things. And so when we go through what love looks like, what we see is Christ. That's where the gospel comes in. When we look at what love looks like, we see Christ. He is the perfect love. He is love itself, and he gives that to you. And so when we receive that forgiveness, it comes with the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us to strengthen us and make us look more like Christ. And again, that doesn't mean we lose our individuality. Love does not mean we lose our individuality, but it means that we give that individuality over for the benefit of others, that that individuality becomes something brighter, something greater, something more wonderful because of the gifts that we've been been given, and we see the purpose of all, all those gifts. We see the purpose of who we are in being given to someone else. All right, I've waxed way too poetically about this epistle lesson. But as you can tell, I really love this <laughs> this, this doctrine of the church and what it is uh, because we see Christ in it. Uh, but I'm going to go on to the gospel lesson now for Epiphany 2 is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to see something pretty marvelous coming through here. John 2, 1 through 11. Three days later, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? My time has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Six stone water jars, which the Jews used for ceremonial cleansing, were standing there, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet and they did. When the master of the banquet tasted the water that had now become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the banquet called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, but when the guests have had plenty to drink, then the cheaper wine. You saved the good wine until now. This, the beginning of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. There we get the the theme of the whole Epiphany season right there in the last half of the last verse. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. That's what Epiphany is all about. Epiphany is that revelation, that manifestation, that showing is what Epiphany means. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He reveals his glory so that we can have faith in him. And that's what he does in this miracle here. He reveals his glory. That's the purpose of his miracles, to reveal his glory, reveal who he is. It's, um, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, it says that uh, he, he emptied himself, uh, that, that, that divine nature, that he was God from eternity, but he set that divinity aside. He set aside the full use of his divine nature and his divine attributes in order to humble himself, even to the point of death on a cross. And we see that in his life, that he didn't look like God. He didn't just accomplish everything by, by saying the word. Instead, he hid his miracles. He hid them behind that humility. But then when he did do those miracles, it's kind of a, a, a lifting of the veil a little bit. He, he pulls back that human flesh so you can see the divine nature uh, that's, that's dwelling within him. That's the purpose of these miracles, to let that divine nature shine through his, his human nature. Uh, and we see that in this miracle, too, which is the first of his miracles. And that's very significant that the first of Jesus' miracles happens at this wedding where they run out of wine. Now I can go into uh, some of the, the social social um, uh, factors that, that are part of this and what a, what a wine was uh, what a, uh, a wedding was like for the Jews with that, that emphasis on the wine and the importance of it for that festival. But it, it comes down to what Jesus did here was a work of mercy for a wedded couple. It, Jesus is placing his blessing on this marriage. Showing that he he is the God who instituted marriage itself, and he's he's blessing it even now for the New Testament time. Um, this this would silence um, some some heresies that would say that Christians don't need to be married anymore. That that marriage isn't for Christians anymore. No, it is. Look, Jesus sanctifies it. He loves marriage when a man is given uh, gives himself to a woman for life. That's what marriage is: a man and a woman for for eternal uh, for for their for their entire lives. Um, and that's, Jesus blesses that. He, he, he blesses it with wine, which is a symbol of, of joy and prosperity. So this wedding is a, is a joyous thing. And not just any wine, but the best wine. He gives the best possible wine that they could have tasted. And he does that by showing himself to be a servant as well. Again, going back to that, uh, that epistle lesson, Jesus is a servant. The perfect servant. The perfect giver of love. And so that ties in, once again, to the epistle lesson as well. That what the church should look like is this perfect family. The, the church is a family, and that doesn't mean that everyone looks the same or does the same thing, no. I mean, you could go back to the, the traditional American family from middle of the century where, you know, the, the family looked like the father goes to work, the, the mother stays home, the children go to school, those, those sorts of things. You know, they don't all look the same. Now, that's that's not exactly applicable for, for today's standards, but the concept still remains the same, that no, not every single member of that family is doing the same thing. Every single member of that family is an individual with their own desires, their own likes, their own tastes. You know, not everyone in the family uh, likes olives on their pizza. Not every member uh, of the family enjoys watching, I don't know, Star Trek. That's the first thing that came to mind because I'm a big Trekkie. But, uh, you know, everyone has their own preferences and everyone has their own strengths. You know, not everyone in the family is going to be good at math. Not everyone in the family is, is going to be... Uh, a, a good, strong lifter, you know, not, not going to be able to, to carry the, the heavy things, not going to be good at uh, garden work uh, and, and those sorts of things. But when they all do use their gifts for the betterment of one another, for, for the good of the family, that is a strong family, that is a loving family, and that is a joyful family. That's, that's what this is all about, that, uh, that Jesus is blessing this family by becoming part of it. By by serving it, uh, and so he, he ought to be members of our families too. This is this is getting right to what the, the chief hymn for Epiphany two is, and that's from uh, that, that's hymn number one eighty nine in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary, and it's called, or the first line is in house and home.
1: It's by uh, Landstad. Uh, in house and home, where man and wife together lead a godly life. By deeds their faith confessing, their mania happy day is spent. Their Jesus gladly will consent to tarry with his blessing.
0: So we see in that hymn itself that connection between both the epistle and the gospel. They're they're tied right together in there. That man and wife, which is together, that's that's a house. That's husband and wife uh, are are together, whether they are children or not. Um, they, they are a a Christian family, uh, and, uh, when, where they together are building one another up by their, their deeds, by their, by their faith, um, confessing that faith by their deeds, I should say, uh, they are building one another up, showing that love to one another, uh, that's a joyous home, and that's a home where Jesus dwells, uh, and that's, that's what we see in this, this wedding at Cana too, this, this home, this family where Jesus dwells and becomes part of that family. So that's the chief hymn. I want to look at um, now that I've, I've I've told you what I've picked here. That that is the as the chief hymn for the day. I'm going to go and look at uh, the the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday, which will also be the uh, the sermon text, and it is from Genesis chapter 29, verses 13 through 30. When Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet Jacob. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob repeated all these things to Laban. Laban said to him, Certainly you are my own flesh and blood. Jacob lived with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, is that any reason you should serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had attractive eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful face and figure. Jacob loved Rachel. He said i will serve you seven years for rachel your younger daughter laban said it is better for me to give her to you than to give her to another man stay with me jacob served seven years for rachel they seemed to him like a few days because of the love he had for her jacob said to laban give me my wife for my time of service is finished so that i may go to her laban gathered together all the local people and made a feast when evening had arrived he took leah his daughter and brought her to jacob and jacob went to her Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. When morning came, Jacob realized it was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Didn't I serve you for Rachel? You have deceived... Why have you deceived me? Laban said, this is not, That is not the way we do it here. We do not give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill the marriage week for this one, and we will give you the other one too for seven more years of service. So that is what Jacob did. When he fulfilled the marriage week, Laban gave him Rachel, his daughter, as his wife. Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. Jacob also went to Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He served Laban seven more years. Alright, so this is a, a bit of a troubling account for, for Jacob. Once again, he's he's not really always portrayed in the brightest light. Uh, he's he's a scumbag, to put it in my wife's terms, uh, in, in on more occasions than one, which once again represents this whole idea that in the church we are sinners. Even if we're saints, we're sinners. This patriarch an ancestor of Jesus himself was a sinner, a terrible sinner. Uh, one who, who, and Laban, not to, to cut Laban out of this too. I want to, I want to deal with the fact that Laban was also very deceitful and that pattern continues for, for Jacob and Laban continually. They, they trick each other and which we've seen Jacob being that sort of trickster up to this point, And so now he's kind of met his match in, in Laban, but the point being, um, Jacob is rejecting his first wife Leah. He he doesn't love her, or he not as much as as Rachel. Anyway, um, so Leah kind of gets the short end of the stick here. Rachel, of course, a, as we go on, she, we will find out that that she is barren for at least uh, the majority of 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 the time here. Um, and meanwhile, Leah is bearing children as as a gift from God, but uh. The fact that Jacob behaves this way toward Leah is kind of a counterexample of Christ. We'll see that kind of repeatedly, that Jacob serves as a counterexample of Christ. Uh, and here, in in showing no love at this this marriage, uh, is the exact opposite of, of Jesus, who showed so much love at the marriage in Cana. And that's, that's what ties this together. What, what does this Christian family, what does this family look like? What should this family look like? And it goes right back to that hymn uh, in house and home, that the, the man and wife should be building one another up. You know, Jacob and, and Leo are maybe married under false pretenses, and this would never fly as something legal nowadays, um, especially not with the polygamy. But that's a, a whole separate issue. But uh, the fact is, they were married. They were married. In God's eyes in society's eyes, Jacob and Leo were married. That was that was his wife. And so with that, with her being his wife, he ought to have started using his gifts to serve her, to, to bless her, to build her up, to show his love for her by showing his love for, for his God, who had, who had provided her to him and would, through her, provide him with many children, and, and not least of which um, God would provide the, the child, the descendant, through Leah of the Savior. It was it was through that first wife that Jesus was born, not through Rachel. Uh, so God is blessing Leah here, and I don't want to throw shade on on Rachel at all here either. Um, I I don't know how how innocent we can say she is, or or even Leah herself. Both of them kind of did what uh, what Sarah did for for Abraham in giving their handmaids. That's why their names are brought up here, um, Zilpah and Bilhah. Uh, that uh, that those handmaids were were given to Jacob as as his next two wives who he wound up having four wives altogether to have his his um 13 sons uh plus daughters but um it's it's a it's a mess of a family really and so the the point that should be seen here is is the love that God intends to be in the family and when it when it works and we'll see that through their children ultimately when we get to Joseph when, it, when they, they do start building one another up, it does become a blessing for everyone uh, that uh, that Joseph, the, the, who who became Pharaoh's second-in-command over Egypt, cared for his entire family. Now, he, he, he messed with them a little bit and had his fun with them, but he did care for his entire family and brought his father to Egypt where he could um, live out the rest of his days in, in happiness, in peace, and uh, avoid the, the famine that was striking the land. But... Um, so, again, the, the 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 whole church, people of God, are full of sinners. We are. Every single one of us is a sinner, and it doesn't help us to try to deny that, to try to take what we want, to try to get our own way. We see only pain resulting from that, but God uses those things uh, to accomplish his purposes. That's really a theme in the Joseph story, but it's, it's a fact of, of all of this as well, that we are the failures of what love should look like. We have not made the church what it should be. But God has. He's made it in his son Christ's image. He's made us saints. He has sanctified us. And so through that, through him giving us his name, that is the value of the church. And so we ought to see one another uh, in that that blessed light. I, I want to share something here that um, uh, runs through my mind every time we have Holy Communion at our saviors here. Uh, there We, we have uh, a table of, of up to about 12 People each taking uh, the sacrament at the same time. And when I when I announce the, the dismissal uh, after the distribution, uh, I say, Our crucified and risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has now bestowed on you his holy body and precious blood to confirm unto you the forgiveness of all your sins, strengthen and preserve you in the true faith unto life everlasting, depart in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Uh, I announce what the sacrament has done. I announce the blessings that are going to continue to come upon those who have received the sacrament, uh, and I, I declare the that this is a confirmation of the forgiveness of sin, so you may depart in peace. When I do that, then, I make the sign of the cross over over the people who have just received the sacrament, and then I bow. And here's what's going through my mind at that point as pastor of, of these people. When I make the sign of the cross, it's making something very visual for me as well as for them that... When I make that sign of the cross, who I'm looking at there are covered in Christ's image, covered in Christ's righteousness, wearing Christ's name, because they have taken Christ into their mouths and, and into their hearts. So they are my lord's. And that's that's where the bow comes in. Most of the bow bowing that, that happens for me as pastor during the service is facing the altar. This is one of the few occasions where I bow to the people. And I bow to the people because I, like in that Romans passage, think more highly of others than you ought. And I ought to at that point because I should see them as people who are covered in Christ. This this is a, a... Something that uh, pastors and, and other uh, church members have heard a lot about from uh, people who leave the church, who stop coming for one reason or another, they'll say, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. The, the church is just full of sinners, or, or, or they're just a bunch of horrible people. Well, yes, we can acknowledge, yes, they are. But that's not what we are to primarily look at. Uh, these sinners in the church can offend us, can make us really mad, can upset us horribly, but who we see when we look at our fellow members in the church should always be Christ. We should be seeing the saint among those people in the church. That's, that's our ultimate focus and our ultimate aim, that we see Christ in them. Because Christ has put himself on them. This, this blessing of this house and home, this blessing of this Christian family, this blessing of the church, is all because Christ is there and has given his blessing. It's grace. It's all grace, 100% grace. And because of that grace, we see that blessing of Christ. All right, that, that'll be enough for the Old Testament in uh, the sermon text right now. I want to look at the collect for Epiphany 2. Um, because it, it is very significant for this day. So the Epiphany 2 collect... Uh, which is collect number 22, page 150 in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things in heaven and earth. Mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace all the days of our life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. All right, so the whole point of all of this is to see that the the Almighty God, once again, took on flesh. The whole epiphany theme is here. The two natures in Christ, the God who governs all things in heaven and earth now we're we're specifically addressing the father here but it's the same god who became man the son of god became man same god different person um so we're 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 acknowledging that that god who is almighty became man and brings his blessings and his grace and his peace and his mercy and because he brings those things because he offers those things we pray in confidence uh, asking for those things, and and when we, we remind ourselves in that prayer that He is the one who governs all things in heaven and on earth, we know He can answer that prayer. We know He can give us that peace all the days of our life. Uh, we don't see that peace right away for for Jacob. Uh, in fact, we see a lot of strife coming his way. But uh, that's that's a, as a result of his sinful work, his his sinful inclination, and and Laban's too. Um, the the strife is all because of what they do, because of their sin. God is the one who gives peace, and he gives that through the promises that he gives to Jacob and his family. We'll see some of those promises given to Jacob in later weeks. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, that fact that um, God gives these blessings, just, it, it's astounding to think that it's the Almighty God who descended, who came down to earth, to, to live as a human being, wear that flesh, and then to use his power to bless such little things as a wedding. <laughs> Just think of that and think of how God also blesses your life uh, through his work by coming down. Um, he governs all things. He governs creation. It's, we call it God's providence in, in how he cares for the natural world, uh, You know, causing the, the sun to rise and set, causing the seasons to change, causing the, the plants, the crops to, to grow and, and bear fruit. Uh, and he, he especially gives you those gifts of the means of grace uh, through word and sacrament. Um, now, this this Sunday that we're talking about, the 19th, January 19th, is the third Sunday of the month, which means it's uh, um, at our Savior's, we'll be following the divine service rite 2 um, with the, the Lord's Supper, so the full rite 2, not abbreviated. Um, starts on page 60 in the hymnry, and that uh, rite 2 opens... With a hymn, and I'm not totally sure how I want to start this this service. I've already picked the chief hymn here, but uh, we'll need a good uh, good opening hymn for this this very special Sunday when when we see Jesus' blessings on on family and, and the family of the church as well. Actually, something that occurs to me here is uh, among the uh, invocation hymns is uh, hymn number four which I've mentioned before, is a a hymn that uh, uh, Fredrickson, um, I think it's Johannes Fredrickson, uh, that he wrote for his wedding, for his marriage to his wife. So I think that would be a very appropriate one for the opening for this service. Um, uh, In Jesus' name. Uh, that In Jesus' name, our work must all be done, which does does feed through the rest of the theme of uh, the church being something that is in Jesus' name. And so we do our work in Jesus' name. We honor God. We are blessed uh, by building one another up uh, as we do these things in Jesus' name to honor and glorify God. So that I, I can't think of a, of, of a better opening hymn. Then we have the, the chief hymn of Hymn 189. Um, for a uh, communion hymn, uh, I think we'll, we'll do Hymn 313 for this. That's a, that's a favorite here at Our Saviors. I've mentioned that before, uh, that uh, uh, I come, O Savior, to thy table, uh, which I think is, is kind of appropriate for this Sunday anyway. Uh, that I come, O Savior, to Thy table. Look at the the table that Jesus Jesus makes uh, in this this wedding at Cana. He provides the table, and so we come to Jesus' table where He provides us with that that sacrament, where He doesn't change water into wine for us, but He causes the wine to also be the blood that He shed to purchase our salvation. Um, so yes, I come, O Savior, to Thy, sa- th- thy table. That'll be the um, uh, the the distribution hymn. I tend to skip the Hymn of Thanks for right, too. People don't like it when the service goes too long, so I'm going to skip that uh, that bit. Um, so no Hymn of Thanks. We'll just go on then to the closing hymn um, for for this, this Sunday. And one that is kind of running through my mind is uh, Hymn 585, How Blessed is the Little Flock.
1: How blessed is the little flock whom Jesus calls his own. He is their saviour and their rock. They trust in him alone. They walk by faith and hope and love, but they shall dwell with him above when hope and faith shall pass away and love shall last foray.
0: Lovely, lovely little Norwegian tune um, for this this hymn. Uh, and the... the the hymnary, the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnery, has two other verses uh, that I don't think any other hymn book has. Um, it shows the, the, the leadership of Christ, uh, how he causes uh, his, his grace, his peace to come to us too. That, that specific blessing we ask for in the Collect uh, is in there in verse 2. Um, and how we when we live in him, that's, that's, uh, we, we do show uh, the, the blessings that he gives to us and we share those blessings with others. Uh, and then we pray that we we continue to to grow in that grace. We continue to to um, show that sanctification um, until we we come to to give him praise eternally. Just as we we sing in the intro it uh, that 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 praise be given to him um, by all creation, We want to be part of that as well. We want to be the creation that praises him. He created us, He created all things, and so all things ought to praise him, including us. All right, so that's uh, that's more or less uh, the service there. Uh, I've gone through the outline uh, of Rite Two before. I'm not going to go through that too much, uh, too frequently. That's um, uh, it, It's pretty straightforward uh, how, how the service is structured with the service of preparation, the service of the Word, and the service of Holy Communion. Um, preparation, we confess our sins, we sing the Kyrie and the Introit, or the other way around, and then the Gloria Patri, uh, and we have the, the Collect. The readings come in the service of the Word as well as the Creed. Um, and then the sermon and the prayer of the church, then for the service of Holy Communion, uh, we have the, the preface, the sanctus, uh, the, the, uh, um, the benedictus, uh, which is part of the sanctus, um, the agnus dei, as well as the, um, uh, the words of institution are in the midst there uh, with the Lord's prayer before the words of institution, distribution uh, and dismissal, followed by a uh, collect of thanksgiving and the benediction, and closing with that last hymn, hymn 585, uh, which is just imminently appropriate here. Um, what uh, what kind of surprises me about my selection here is that uh, there there aren't really a lot of hymns uh, that I've picked here that, that have a lot of verses. Hymn 313, obviously, being a distribution hymn, um, tends to have many, many, many verses just uh, depending on how many people come to the sacrament. But 189, the chief hymn has four verses. Hymn 4 and hymn 585 both have three verses. So this uh, this isn't going to be a hymn-heavy service, but that's, that's also... Uh, okay. Oh, one thing I did forget uh, here, and I, and I don't want to forget that before we close, is the the psalm of the day. The psalm for Epiphany 2 is Psalm 66, which is part of that introit, and I don't believe it is printed in the Henry. Let me look quick. No, it is not. Him, uh, psalm 66 is not part of that. But that whole point, uh, that, that whole theme of creation praising God, um, there, there are other psalms that, that fit that theme. And let me see. There's one I'm thinking of. Yes, Psalm 19 is the one that I think is going to be uh, appropriate here. It starts with uh, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. Uh, that uh, it, it, And then it, we get this picture that of the sun like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. So the bride, uh, the, the marriage imagery is there. Um, creation praising God and it concludes then let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So that idea that uh, all creation is praising God, all creation is witnessing to this Creator, who is also our, our Redeemer, uh, and we ask that we too be made part of that that praise. Uh, let let me be uh, a someone who is adequate to, to praise God. Let my voice be added to that. Uh, in and specifically this this um. That verse, that last verse of Psalm 19, is used by pastors uh, prior to sermons very frequently. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, of our hearts, this is sometimes how that's altered, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Uh, so praying that uh, in the sermon that is given, that those words that are of the that are of the sermon be acceptable, and that those who hear and receive them. Um, think correctly and and meditate well on on the word of God that is preached. So Psalm 19 is, is what we're gonna do and it's it's to tone one uh, so that's
1: that sounds like with the first verse, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handy work. And it goes on from there.
0: so that's that's going to be the psalm um, that's in there in the midst of the the readings for the service of the word in this uh, this service. but that's uh for for epiphany two. Uh, So continue to come and and hear uh, of of this unity of of God and man uh, in in Jesus Christ, that he, the eternal God who created the heavens and the earth, is is bowing down and becoming a servant to show his love, to give his love. I shouldn't say just show his love because it's more than that. It's an actual giving of love. And that's something that we're called to do as well, to give our love to our fellow Christians uh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, our work must all be done. So, until we, we meet again, uh, you can uh, contact the show going to tapestryradioorg slash lordshouse. Uh, you can find uh, my church's website, oursaviorsels.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, so please continue to, to share the joy and praise of your Lord uh, until we meet again. And peace be within you.